Welcome to the worship service of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. Under the leadership of our senior pastor, Dr. Bob Long, we are a family of faith that seeks to share God's love and bring hope to the world. We invite you to join us now for a message of hope. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and besought him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And he stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to the people. But so much the more the report went abroad concerning him, and great multitudes gathered to hear and to be healed of their infirmities. But he withdrew to the wilderness and prayed. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Bob told us last week, how he had the opportunity about a year and a half ago to go to Indianapolis to speak to the pastors of large churches in the Indiana Annual Conference. And the meeting just happened to be at St. Luke's United Methodist in Indianapolis. That's where one of his good friends, Rob Fuquay, is the senior pastor. Bob went with uh, Reverend Wendy Lambert and Phil Greenwald. And while they were there, they found they had some time to kill. And Rob said to them, he says, you know what you need to do while you have some time? You need to go out to the Speedway to see the Indianapolis Speedway. You know, it's like nothing you've ever seen. And so they took the time to do that. Rob also mentioned to them, he said, you know, racing is big business here in Indianapolis. It's important to these people. So last year, I did a sermon series all about the flags of racing. You know, there's lots of flags. There's not just that checkered flag at the end of the race. There's also a blue flag. There's the the yellow flag. There's the black flag. There's the green flag, which means go, and the red flag, which means stop. And he said, so I did a whole series, and I talked about how these different flags with their functions, how they applied to our spiritual journey, our spiritual race, if you will. You know, there's lots of New Testament imagery about racing. Last week we talked about the scripture in Hebrews that said, run the race with perseverance. And then just this last week in my Disciple 3 class where we've been studying Paul, we looked at Paul's first letter to Timothy. And in there, probably the most famous verse in that whole letter is the one that says, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. So last week, We started out with the green flag, which means go. And I thought that was very appropriate for Bob, that we would have the green flag to go. Because Bob is one of those people, he likes to go. And he likes to go fast, I think. You know, whenever Bob has had a good idea or someone else has had a good idea here at St. Luke's, he was one of those people, he says, let's implement it as fast as we can. No need to piddle around. Let's go ahead. Let's do it. And that's why he's been able to get so much done in 27 years of ministry here at St. Luke's. But even beyond that, I think Bob just likes to go fast. You know, he built that airplane years ago. 
it goes fast. And I don't know this for sure, but I think when Bob was at least younger, I think he even liked to go fast in his cars. I don't know that he sped or anything like that, but I know that when I first met him over 20 years ago, he had this little sports car, and I thought, I'll bet he goes fast in that car. So I thought last week, that was appropriate, that Bob would start us off with this series with a green flag and go. This week, I have the red flag. which means stop. Now, you know, that's really important. They, they use the red flag when there's an accident on the track, there's a thunderstorm. We can relate to that this weekend, can't we? And it's, it's important for the racers to stop and get off the track. I even have a red flag with me. Um, one of our members, Gary Brown, uh, who is a retired uh, anesthetist, he has had a really interesting life. Among things he did that I did not know, he used to be a racer. He used to race for money, road races. And he says, I just want to get you this flag. So this is the red flag. Now you've seen it. Now you don't. So the red flag means you've got to pull into the pit stop. You've got to make a pit stop. And I thought, this one's appropriate for me because when I think about cars and going fast, I think some of the cars I've had have been the pits. And I've spent a lot of time in the pit stop. You know, the very first car I ever had was a Ford Pinto. Do I need to say more? That car was always in the shop being fixed. I'd only had it a couple of years when I had to replace the transmission. And I told this mechanic, I said, I just got back from Colorado and I was driving through the mountains. And he said, wait a minute, you drove through the mountains in this car? You mean you made it up over the mountains in this car? And I said, well, yeah, sort of. I did. Well, I got rid of the Pinto. And then I got a 1976 VW Bug convertible. Now, that was a really cool car. I mean, I liked it. I drove that car everywhere. I drove that car with a friend on a trip after college. We went from Tulsa to New Orleans to Atlanta to Washington up to Boston and then back home. I drove that car into the ground. I drove that car so much that I threw a rod. You know what the rods are? You know, it's that metal thing that connects the pistons to the crankshaft, I'm told. And when that happens and it goes into the engine block, well, then your car is toast. And that's what my car was. It wouldn't run. And I thought, I just want to sell it. I just want to get rid of it. Well, I found a mechanic, and he looked at this car, and he said, you know what? You're right. You don't have the money for a brand-new engine block. But he says, I can sell you a used engine block. And I said, really? Okay. Well, I was young and poor. My dad, he came and bailed me out. He gave me $1,300. And I got this engine for this Volkswagen. Now, the mechanic told me, he says, there's just one problem. He says, I don't have a Volkswagen engine. He says, I have a a Cadillac engine. (laughs) And I thought, that's okay. American ingenuity meets German engineering. Let's put it in. Let's go. And so he did, and the car ran, and I found someone to sell this car to, and that was great. And about a week after I sold them this car, this guy calls me back, and he says, Dave, he says, "Uh, you remember that red VW that uh, you sold me about a week ago? Yeah, I think so. He says, well, you know, it's got that new engine in it. Yeah, that's right. And he says, you know, my mechanic, he he looked at this car, and he says, "That's that's a Cadillac engine. I said, yeah, pretty cool, isn't it? 
And he said, uh, but this mechanic told me, he said, uh, it looks like someone took a hacksaw and they just cut hoses and pipes and whatever they had to do to put that Cadillac engine where that Volkswagen engine used to be. And then there was this awkward silence. Like, I was going to say, bring the car back, I'll give you your money back. But I didn't. And finally I said, whatever his name was, Billy Bob, Billy Joe, Billy Jack. I said, does the car still run? Yes. I said, I hope you have many, many years of driving pleasure in this car. Thank you. Goodbye. I said, he can take time in the pit stops with this car now. Now, this was long before, of course, I became a minister and really had the Christian values refined in me. (laughs) Nevertheless, the red flag is my flag this week, and I think it's appropriate that I have that. Bob told us last week, he said, you know, I wanted to do this series after Easter. You know, the disciples, they had seen Jesus die on the cross. He'd been raised from the dead. And now he was going to ascend into heaven. And before he ascends into heaven, he tells the disciples, he says, go and wait. And they're like, wait for what? Go and wait. And so they did. They waited in the upper room for 50 days. And you know, what was going through their mind? I mean, I'm thinking they must be going, all the heartache and the challenges we have had. How are we supposed to go on? How are we going to go on with this race? What are we going to do? But they had time to stop and to wait and to pray. And you know what? I think they figured it out. What to do. All during the season of Lent, we talked about heartache. We talked about impossible impossibilities. And so now Easter's in the rearview mirror. Where do we go? How are we supposed to move forward? How are we supposed to move forward and stay in the race? You know, it's been said that most races are won and lost in the pits. And that's true, you know. Now, I have to confess to you, I am not the racing fan that Bob is. But, you know, when I got this assignment, I thought, you can learn about anything. And so I went out and I found there's a book. There's a book, Formula One Racing for Dummies. That's the truth. And I read about the pits and how important the pit stop is. And it's amazing. When these guys come into the pit stop, everything happens just so quickly. You know, because they got to get back on the track. Time is of the essence. And so when they come in, they're going to do at least a couple of things. If nothing else is wrong with the car, they're going to refuel the car, and they're going to change all four tires. And they have a crew called the Wheels Off Crew. And I read in this book, it says they take the old tires off, they jack up the car, they take the old tires off in 2.5 seconds, they put the new tires on, all four tires, in three and a half seconds. Two and a half, three and a half, six seconds. The six-second car change, tire change. Can you believe that? Now, you know, when I take my car to get my tires changed, I go in the morning and they say, yeah, we may have it ready by the afternoon. Now, I know, I know I'm not the only one in this case. But I'm thinking, wow, if you could do a six-second tire change, all those people that show up at 7 o'clock, you'd be done by 7.15. You'd have the rest of the day. (laughs) I was so excited when I thought about this idea about a six-second tire change. I thought, I ought to start a business, you know, that just does tire changes. And I could do the commercials, you know, the pit stop, the home of a six-second tire change. Come and get your alignment readjusted. 
I think people would be interested in that. I think they'd come. I think they'd want to see what that's about. It's amazing what they do. And it is so important for these racers, so important that they get back onto the track. But they have to stop. they got to stop and take care of their car. And that brings us to our scripture today in Luke. Jesus heals a man who has leprosy. The man calls out to Jesus, and he says, you can make me clean. You can make me clean if you choose. And Jesus says, I do, so choose. And he touches him, and he's made clean. And then did you catch what he did afterwards? It says he went away to be alone and to pray. Now, any good pastor that's been to seminary will tell you that if you really want to understand a passage in the Bible, you should look at what happens right before the passage and what happens right after it. And as you look at chapter 5 in Luke, what we find is happening is this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He's calling his disciples before he heals this man of leprosy. He goes out to the shore to preach one day. He sees some fishermen. He says, can I use your boat to preach? And they say, sure. He gets in the boat. He preaches. And then afterwards, he goes up to Simon Peter, and he says, let's go fishing. Let's put the boat out. And Peter says, we've been out all night fishing. We haven't caught a thing. We are dog tired. But Jesus gives him this look, and Simon Peter says, all right, you say so. Let's go. And so they go out onto the water, and all of a sudden, there is fish everywhere and the nets are beginning to break there are so many fish and peter calls for another boat to come over come over bring your nets we got to do something with these fish and that boat begins to fill up their nets with the fish and they're throwing the fish on the boats two boats now and the boats are filling up with so many fish they are about to sink now that'll get your attention if you're a fisherman and simon peter he looks at jesus and he says this is no ordinary preacher And he falls on his knees and he says, depart from me. Go away from me for I am a sinful man. And Jesus says to Peter, he says, you know what? From now on, Peter, we're going to be fishing for men, for women. You're going to be a part of that. And so Peter and his brother Andrew and John and James, they all go with him. And now it's interesting. He's called the disciples. And what's the first thing he's going to do in his ministry? Well, he does three things, actually, if you read these passages. He heals the man of leprosy. He prays. And in the verses right after what you heard today, he forgives a man, the paralytic, the man, you remember, who was paralyzed. His friends brought him on a stretcher to Jesus. Jesus was teaching in a group, and there was so crowded, they they had to bring the man in through the roof. And Jesus looks at him, he says, your sins are forgiven. Pick up your mat and walk. He heals, he prays, he forgives. I talk to our lay care team all the time about the healing ministry of Jesus and how important that is. I said, Jesus cared about people. He cared about healing people. He cared about healing their bodies. He cared about healing their spiritual and their emotional wounds. And we should care about that too. It's important to be healers. But it's also important to pray and to forgive. 
But do you see a pattern here with Jesus? Do you see a pattern? He does ministry. He heals someone. He goes, and then he prays. He stops, and then he goes again, and he does more ministry. He goes, he stops, he goes, he stops. He goes out to do something, but he has to stop in the midst of all that. He has to stop to be still and to pray. That's the fuel. That's the fuel that he needs to keep on doing his ministry that he does. Now, you know, for us, that's not our nature, is it? You know, when we're trying to get through the day, we're looking for something. We get to the end of the day, you know, and we're tired. Maybe it's one o'clock and we're tired. We want something to keep us going, to keep go, go, go. And so we have all these products today we can take. We have energy bars. We have energy drinks. You know, we have those little red bottles, the five-hour energy drink that's got caffeine in enough to choke a horse, you know, and we go, and you just take a shot of that, and you're good. You're good to go for a while. I mean, you may be a little shaky, but you're good to go, and I'm sure it's a great product if you take that. It's got a lot of caffeine in it. We look for something to keep us going, to give us energy, and then you look at Jesus, and what did he do? He did just the opposite. He didn't take anything. He stopped. He stopped. Psalm 46 says, be still, be still, and know that I am God. How hard that is for us, isn't it? We're just thinking, we got to go, we got to go, we got to go. But we can't, we can't keep going. And Jesus couldn't either. He understood that you need to stop. To stop and to rest and to pray if you want to keep going. There's just two ideas that I'd like to share with you today. First of all, when we pray, we get the fuel. We get the fuel to go in the race. So pray regularly. You know, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. We have trouble finding time to stop to pray at all, but we're supposed to pray without ceasing. You know, when Jesus gave us the example, did you know that Jesus prayed at the most important moments of his ministry? You think about it. At his baptism, it said he was praying in Matthew when the heavens opened up and God said, you are my well-beloved son. He prayed then. Before selecting the disciples, it says he went into the hills the night before and he prayed. And then he went out and selected the disciples. When he healed the man of leprosy, he prayed. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he prayed. He said, Father, I thank you for hearing me and for the sake of those who are here so that they might believe And then he says, come forth, come forth, Lazarus. He prayed. And then he prayed at the Last Supper, the prayer that we say all the time when we serve communion. He took the bread, he broke it, he gave thanks to God. He prayed in Gethsemane. Father, your will, not mine. And then finally, he prayed on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. At every important moment in his ministry, he stopped to pray. Why don't we do the same? In the important moments of our life, do we stop to take time to pray? You need that fuel to keep going, to make good decisions. 
Today is the Memorial Marathon. What an appropriate day to have a sermon series here, right? You know, we'll be finishing on Memorial Day when they have the Indy 500 also. But this is such an important day, as, as you've heard, as we come to remember, not so much today this about racing and going fast, but about remembering. But as I thought about this race, I thought about the Kona Marathon. Have you ever heard of the Kona Marathon? It's on the big island in Hawaii. That's where they have the Ironman uh, Triathlon. The Ironman Triathlon is, I think, they, uh, they bike for 100 miles, they swim for five miles, and if you don't get eaten by a shark, you then run a marathon of 26 more miles. That's the Ironman Triathlon. I can't imagine that. But they have a regular marathon. And um, many years ago, I got to participate in that marathon. That's right. You know, I used to be a runner. I used to be a cross-country runner in high school, believe it or not. I did, and, and they didn't just roll me down the, the path. I, I actually could run. And more recently, 12 years ago or so, I went to the Big Island, and I got to participate in the Kona Marathon. And uh, I didn't do the whole marathon. You know, full disclosure, I only did half of it. And I didn't even run, I walked. But let me tell you something. This is an interesting island. It's, uh, there's two ecosystems that are shared in this one space. On one side of the island, you have a rainforest. And you have the most lush, beautiful trees and forest, jungle, whatever you want to call it, and some breathtaking views of the ocean from these high cliffs and lots of waterfalls everywhere. And you think, wow, this would be a great place to run a marathon. But you know what? That isn't where they run the marathon. They run it on the other side of the island where it's volcanic ash. That's right. There are active volcanoes on the big island in Hawaii. You can go see them today where there's lava spitting. And so much of this other half of the island is this molten rock that is solidified. It's this black volcanic rock. And when the sun hits it and it reflects back, it's like being in an oven. I mean, it's awful. And I remember the day I'm walking in this half marathon and I'm thinking, I'm going to die. It is so hot. And the only thing that saved me, I think, besides the grace of God, was the water stops. The water stops. You all were out there passing out water today. You got to have that fuel. Now, those folks, they probably took the water and they kept going. The same thing in the race I was in. But you know what? I stopped. Every time I go, the water stop. And I would take one cup of water and I would drink that. And then some other runner would come by and they'd be holding out a cup and I'd take that cup and I'd pour it over me. Anything to cool my body down, to rehydrate, I needed that fuel to keep on going. I had to stop, take time to, and I did it often. I did it often. And by golly, I finished that half marathon. And I went straight to the tent where they have the IVs, you know, for fluids. But I did it often. And that's what Jesus says to do. He says, you got to stop. You got to stop and pray on a regular basis if you want to get that fuel for the race. Secondly, what do we pray for? How do we pray? This is a question we talk about a lot in, in different settings here at the church, isn't it? How do we pray? Well, of course, Jesus, we know, gives us a, an example, right? It's one we say every week when Jesus' disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus says, okay, when you pray, pray like this. And he addresses God and he names God for who God is. He says, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You are holy. And then he says, 
give us what we need for this day. Help to meet our needs. And he says, and, and the will, let it be your will, just as it is in heaven. Let it be your will on earth. And then he says, give us the strength to forgive others so others might forgive us. And then he says, and lead us not into temptation. That's a great prayer. That's why we're still praying it 2,000 years later. It's a great prayer to say. When you stop to pray, if you don't have the words, if you don't know what to say, just say the Lord's Prayer. Say the Lord's Prayer, and God will help you to find other words. But i got to tell you, there's other things to do also when you pray. To pray for others, I think, is so important. To pray for others. I mean, think about it. When we pray for others, you summon the most powerful force in the universe on behalf of somebody else, right? You summon the greatest power in the universe on their behalf. Did you know we have a prayer team here? Every week we send them a list of names to pray for. Uh, sometimes we just, we just say a name. Sometimes we say a little more, but we don't say a whole lot. We just ask those people, will you pray for these people every week? You know, you can be on the prayer team if you want. All you got to do is call me. You can be on the prayer team. I'll talk to you about it. But we have a prayer team that prays for others. Last week, I had the privilege of doing the funeral for longtime member Frank Bruno that Phil lifted up his name earlier. Frank had been a member for almost 70 years at this church, and he had quite a story for his life. He went to OCU back in the late 40s, and he used to tell me these stories, how he played football at OCU. And I told him, I said, Frank, I have to confess, I didn't realize that OCU even had a football team ever. And he said, oh, yes, we were the gold bugs. And I said, sounds like termites. He says, no, 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 we were the gold bugs. And they called me the gold toe because I was the kicker. I was the kicker, and I was good. We were a good team. He says, we were ranked in the top 20. And I said, what year? 1948. Okay. Frank is in the OCU Sports Hall of Fame. The gold toe. While he was playing football, he met a cheerleader. His name was Social. And he fell in love with Social. And they decided to get married. But Social came to Frank one day and she said, you know, there's just one thing you have to do before we get married. And he says, what is it? Tell me anything. You have to join St. Luke's United Methodist Church. Social had grown up in this church. She was baptized as a baby in this church in the 20s. She said, you've got to come and be a part of this church. And Frank said, all right, whatever you say, that's what I'll do. You know, we've been extending an invitation at the end of the service here for over 100 years at St. Luke's, wherever the location was, wherever we were, we issued an invitation to come and to follow Christ, to be a part of this family of faith. And that was no day different. And Frank thought he heard the invitation, he told me. But he says, something went wrong. He says, I didn't quite hear it right. I got up, I went down front, and I stood there, and I waited. And I waited. And I waited. Because the pastor apparently was not through with the sermon. (laughs) But sooner than later, he finished the sermon. And then he gave the invitation. And there was Frank standing there, ready to join the church. Here I am, Lord, choose me, send me. And he joined the church. And that began a long history of Frank and Social serving this church so wonderfully in so many different ways. And so when I got to see him 
a little over a week ago, and he knew he was dying, and that was in the hospital. And we, we just sat and talked for a while. It was the last day I was told that he really was able to converse, and I was so privileged and glad that we got to talk. And once again, Frank, who loved to tell stories, would go on, and we talked about OCU football again. We talked about St. Luke's. He talked about social. And then he looked at me, and he said, You know, Dave, he says, I've told them that I don't want them to use any extraordinary measures to keep me alive. And I said, Really? He says, Yeah. Why should I fear death? He says, you know, my legs have have failed me. You know, the old gold toe used to kick, made my fame. I can't even get up now to the wheelchair. He says, but more importantly, more importantly, he says, I welcome my death. Because when that comes, I get to see social. I get to see social. And I said, can I pray for you? Same thing I've done for many people. I know many of you have done for other people, praying for others. And so we prayed. And I thank God for Frank's life. I thank God for opening his arms and receiving Frank into his eternal kingdom. And I ask that God would grant Frank the peace to take these last steps of the journey to finish, to finish the race. I said, I hope you have that peace that passeth all understanding. You know, many people say, it's not what's on the other side that worries me. It's getting there in this life. And so I prayed. And then I said, amen. And Frank looked up at me and he he held out his arms. And he gave me this big hug. And he said, I love you, brother. He said, goodbye. And I said the same to him. And I walked out, and I left. And it's the last time I saw him. And I'd like to think, I'd like to think that in some small measure, in some small measure, that in praying for Frank, in summoning the greatest force in the universe, I helped to give him some peace as he finished the race. Praying for others is powerful. You should do it a lot. So Easter's done. How will you continue the race? How will you do things, great things, for yourself, for God, and for the kingdom? Well, you go, and then you stop. And then you go, and then you stop. And you go, and you stop, and you pray so you can get that fuel to continue on with the race. Be still. Be still and know that I am God. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen. You've been watching the worship service of St. Luke's United Methodist Church in Oklahoma City. If you would like a CD or DVD of today's worship service, please call us at 405-232-1371 or visit our website at www.stlukesokc.org. We trust that you will experience God's love and hope throughout this week. Tune in next week for a message of inspiration and hope.